Morning. Morning. My name is Pastor Daniel. I'm one of the uh, lead pastors here at Res Church. And this is Cecil Ramos. Ramos, yes. yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. He likes to roll yeah. the R. Yes, thank you. Impressive. Oh, well, Impressive. I've been practicing. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> Cecil's uh, and his family are missionaries in Thailand. We have been partnering with them for a long time. And uh, if you want a, a more information about the ministry and, and all the things that God's done through their lives in Thailand, you should make sure you're part of uh, the missions updates that we send out every month, giving you updates about all of our different missions partners and what's going on there. You'll get a lot of information about that today. I want to spend just a little bit of time since they're still in town before they go back to Thailand, uh, talking, uh, really kind of going back a little bit and looking at what led you there. And uh, we're, we're working on that today too. We're going to talk a little bit about this idea of holy discontentment. When God begins to build an uncomfortability in you um, as he's preparing you for a calling. And so, um, you know, I think people, you see that in the Bible, you also see that just in people as God's preparing them. Can you maybe, maybe talk about what it looked like to have God begin to build that in you that, that somehow led you, of all places, to, to Thailand? I know, so, Southeast Asia. It's good, it's good to see, uh, see you all this morning, your uh, good-looking faces, as we say in Thailand, Sawadee Kap, which means hello, Sawadee Kap. Um, yeah, really honored to, to be here. Go, going from, you know, um, east side Bakersfield to Southeast Asia, like it was su- such a leap, but, uh, you know, we do keep it east side, east, mm, from east side to east side, baby. <laughs> um, and uh, a young boy grown up Catholic uh, on the east side of town, raised by a single mom who was on welfare, what have you. I um, uh, didn't think I, I would be there, but about 21 years ago, when I just turned 20 years old, I came to the front of an altar. You know, uh, the pastor said, if you never given your life to Jesus, like let today be the day. Mm-hmm. That day was the day. And, and on that day, I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, like I'll do it. A couple it's years later. It's dangerous. It is. It is dangerous. I know. Touche, my man. Um, and, uh, and next thing you know, some of you guys might remember 2000. Uh, in four box, Boxing Day, uh, December 26th, the tsunami hit Southeast Asia. How many of you guys remember that? About 17 years ago. And uh, I was on a team that went to help out. And so while I was there, another uh, missionary, or we call, we call ourselves uh, global workers as well, uh, said, Cecil, you know, um, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus says, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. He said, Cecil, that is Thailand. He said it's about 95% Buddhist, uh, like maybe half percent Christian in some places. Some places it's like, you know, uh, 99.99999% Buddhist. He says, we would, we would need uh, help and would you be willing to do that? And I basically said, uh, yeah, I'm willing to do that. In the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about Counting the cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, no one goes to war before counting. Mm-hmm. Man, can I can I win this? That's no one right. starts building a building unless they they can make it all the way through and finish the building. Mm-hmm. And and so from from a calling perspective, I mean, did you guys, you and your wife, are you are you sitting around thinking about Thailand and you're going, are are we willing to move our family there? Are we right. willing to move out of uh, what we know, yeah. uh, our language, our our yeah. people, our family, our culture, and and not just go for a, a year? I mean, like. Right. You're gonna you're gonna raise your family right. in Thailand. You, you, there, I think people could legitimately look at you and go, "Well, man, isn't that selfish?" <laughs> Gosh, well, I mean, how, I isn't this gonna hurt your kids? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, did you count the cost? I mean, what was that? What was that conversation like? Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was good. Uh, you know, it, it's funny when we uh, went to Thailand. You know, ten years ago, our kids were uh, two and four. And uh, we were telling people, hey, we're going to be here minimum uh, of 10 years. And uh, <laughs> the question that some people would ask me w- w- uh, was really funny. Are you going to bring your kids? And I'm like, we're, we're going for 10 years. <laughs> like, anyone want to babysit for 10 years? Like, I know, exactly. I'm like, yeah, because it was hard to find a babysitter for 10 years. Yeah, they're coming. You know, people raise their kids overseas, right? Like, uh, a- a- anyhow, I think ca- counting the cost was uh, a big thing because, like you mentioned, you're leaving so much, leaving uh, culture, language, uh, your support system. Like amazing, you know, uh, church body as well. Um, and Tracy was in my wife was in Brazil for a year before we we dated. And so in Brazil, she said uh, to the Lord, "I'm I'm willing to you know give my life to you uh, for overseas missions." And so uh, I think Jesus is uh, very serious when he tells us to count the cost, not just as a missionary, but as a follower yep. and a disciple of Jesus. Right? Yep. Some people thinking to count the cost is just for pastors or missionaries. That's I don't I don't read that in the New Testament, right? And you guys don't preach that here at Res Church. No. Jesus. Says in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark around chapter eight, he says, 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. What does a profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in exchange of, for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so uh, for me, it's, it's a daily surrender of saying, Jesus, I'm saying yes again. Please don't think that pastors, ministry leaders, missionaries, global workers, please don't think that we're uh, somehow super Christian. We are just flesh and blood people who struggle, and we're just uh, you know, trying to say yes to Jesus again every day. Is that, what, what keeps you there? You're 10 years in. Uh, you, you, you've run a good race, right? Uh, why not move back? Why not, why not come back to comfort? You, you've put in your time, right? Right, right. What, yeah. keep, what keeps you there? Well, and that's always a temptation. Like, uh, you know, I taught uh, here at Bakersfield City School District for five years down the street at Longfellow Elementary, special education there. It was an amazing job. I think, Lord, life in ministry, my wife and I, we have this conversation maybe a few times a year, like life in ministry would be so much easier back in the States, would be so much easier in Bakersfield with uh, people whom we love, you know, uh, ex- expressing uh, our heart for Jesus in English. It's so much, so much easier than Thai. Can I just say that? Uh, when I went overseas, uh, I also speak Spanish and I know American Sign Language and a little bit of English. Uh, none, of that, none of those languages helped help me in Thailand, right? It's such a difficult language and you're constantly humbled. Why not just throw in the towel and come back? I think it's because there's a nation and there's a, there, there's a town, and you know this, Pastor Daniel, the town that we're part of, the little town of Pantong of, it's of like 10,000 people we have been part of establishing the first Jesus community, the first church Jesus community ever in 2,000 years. And so, um, so many people have not yet known the love of Jesus, and we'd love to express that. We're there to serve them, wash their feet, like show them that God loves them. So that's, you, that keeps you us. You said 99.999% non-Christian. I right. thought you were talking about San Francisco. No, um, no, no. <laughs> Thailand, bro. Thailand. Right, God's Thailand. moving in California. Yes. He's moving in California. Come on, baby. Um, <laughs> I, 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 we talked about this in the first service, but you know, Brene Brown years ago mm-hmm. said, you can choose comfort or you can choose courage, but you never get to choose both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, so indicative of the Christian life is yeah. you, you don't get to choose comfort. Right. Um, what advice would you give to someone individually or, or maybe there as a family have been seeking God's calling in their life and, and, and maybe wrestling over something? I mean, what, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, well, as you're talking about, and I'm super stoked about you guys hearing the message this morning. It's going to be uh, uh, really, really great. Uh, the calling, the steps, like what, you know, what does God have for, for our lives? Uh, as you're talking about angst or the holy discontent, like I think that speaks to something within our heart. You know, I mean, uh, raising, being raised by, uh, by a single mom, I'm thinking I have a heart for kids who grow up by a single parent household. You know what I mean? Those who uh, go, grow up impoverished. Um, whatever, whatever that is within our life that we see is broken and that needs, um, uh, yeah, that, that needs compassion, that needs to be fixed or made right, that shalom being brought into mm-hmm. the picture. I think uh, the Lord would use that. I think as well, the community around us, those who know us and love us can call things out. Like, you know what? You're, you're really good with people. Like I see you ministering to, I see the way you were just able to connect or, or you just prayed over that person and you didn't even think twice about it. Those who are around us, our friends, our leaders speaking into our lives. And uh, I think just being bold enough to take that courageous step to say, Jesus, uh, I meant, meant it when I say my life is yours. All that I have, all my time, resources, energy, finances, it's all yours. Mm-hmm. How do you want me to, um, to use it? And I think this reboot of 2024 is a good first step in that, that direction. We've, uh, we've used a phrase for a little while. It says, uh, we want to live in a space where either God looks miraculous or we look foolish. Ooh, I like that. And uh, it's usually a high dive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's usually really scary. Right. Yeah. Let me, can I pray over you and your, your family? Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Father God, we, uh, we thank you that you, uh, you save us mm-hmm. when we don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. You redeem us and uh, you transform us. And then you take just normal people who are running from you. Mm-hmm. And not only do you call us sons and daughters of the king, but then you put us on mission. We thank you for the Ramos family, uh, for how you're using them in Thailand, God, for how you have uh, transformed their lives, but then also, God, uh, just transformed countless lives around that community, God, and uh, we ask that you just continue to pour out your power on their ministry and their family, God, that you would keep them safe, that you would keep them on mission, God, that you would uh, 
you would continue to give them a steadfastness to run a good race. And uh, we thank you for all of the impact and the harvest uh, that their planting is, uh, is going to uh, end up in, God. And we thank you for their lives and uh, the legacy that they are uh, making every single day that they follow you obediently. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Which means thank you, Lord bless you. Uh, we're starting a series today that's going to go about five weeks, and uh, today we're going to be working a little bit on uh, vision and uh, kind of how we discern as God is moving in our lives and leading us into certain spaces, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but, but for the whole series, uh, we're going to bring in uh, a number of guest speakers to talk a little bit about the same thing, uh, how God called them into, um, I would say, at times, scary spaces, uh, God leads them into unknown areas, and, and we're going to look at some of the things that we, we can find for us individually, uh, for us as a church, to better be sensitive and recognize as God moves and calls us into this journey of following Christ. And so um, there's a, uh, I, guess, I guess I should start here, um, because there are some individuals inside the, the Christian faith that don't believe that God still actively speaks to us about specific callings. And, and, and they love the Lord and they love the Bible and they're, you know, they're not heretical in any means. They just believe that God no longer speaks that directly to individuals. And some of them are, I have friends that believe this and that's totally fine. Um, the problem that I have with that is that I can't explain my life if God wasn't speaking to me. Like there's just decisions that I have made and there are, there are experiences I've had in which God was so vocal that either he was speaking to me or I'm mentally ill. And some of you are like, I mean, both is an option. I, I can't explain it any other way because he led me into things that I didn't want to do, that I had no interest in doing. And, and have you all ever made plans without the Lord? Anybody? I mean... I, as, a, as, a, as a kid growing up, the one thing that was certainly never going to happen in my life was me becoming a pastor. And y'all see how that worked out. And so, so God has continually led me into uh, spaces that were terrifying and that I didn't want to do for his glory. And it has changed my heart in the process to, to desire the very thing that I didn't desire in the first place. That's actually how God moves. Uh, there's a, a, a book um, by a guy named Jim Collins from years ago. He's a secular leadership guy. And he wrote a book called Good to Great. And um, there's a, a, a quote in there. He says this. He says, good is the enemy of great. Greatness is not a function of circumstance. Greatness, it turns out, is largely a matter of conscious choice and discipline. Now, that's a very secular view of, of uh, good and great. I want, to, I want to submit to you this. I think that morally, if, you just, if you're a Christian and God saved you, that you could read the Bible and you could try to live your life morally and ethically by biblical terms and live a good life. I do. But I don't think you could live a great life. I think if you did that, you could live a good life but I don't think you could live a great life. I think to live a great life, you have to be sensitive to the work and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to walk in step with the Spirit, to follow God. So where the shepherd goes, the flock goes, and he doesn't stay in the same place. And what that means is being sensitive and earnestly wanting to follow him. And if you don't do that, you could live a good life, but you're gonna pass up on the great life. And the great life is scary, and it's terrifying, it's a little bit addictive because it's jumping off the high dive. Living in that space in which either God shows up in miraculous fashion or we look like idiots. And it's amazing. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, both watching God move in power and looking like an idiot. It's amazing. And I couldn't imagine choosing anything different and I don't think you want a good life I think you want a great life and I want to show you a story about a guy who could have lived a good life 
if, if he had just done what he was doing and God was calling him and if he'd never responded to God, I think he could have lived a good life and I think he would have missed a great life. His name was Samuel. I'm gonna start this story in Samuel, 1 Samuel 3. Uh, Samuel's mom was having trouble having kids and she, she prayed earnestly for a child and she got to the point where she prayed so hard that she told God that if he would just give her a son, that she would give that son back to him. Now, some of y'all wanna give your kids to God because you can't stand them. Um, it's a joke. It's a season, they'll get over it. Okay, anyways. So Samuel has been given back to the Lord. He actually lives at the temple. He's being trained as a priest of God. Uh, he lives there uh, with Eli, and he's doing service, uh, the, the service of the temple. And, and if he did not listen to the Lord in this story we're about to read, and he just, just kind of faithfully was obedient, and he learned he would have served God, he would have lived at the temple, he would have done moral things, he would have helped the people with sacrifices, he would have lived a good life, but wouldn't have been a great one. 1 Samuel, chapter three, verse one. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here am I. And he ran to Eli and he said, here am I for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Some of you are having flashbacks to trying to get your kids to bed right now. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time and he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in this place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And the story would go on, uh, God gives uh, an entire prophecy, a whole vision to Samuel about things that are to come. And this will start a ministry in which Samuel, uh, will, will, the time of Israel will go from uh, God not speaking very much to the people to God speaking through Samuel all the time. And just uh, two books of the Bible, really, uh, First and Second Samuel, all about how God would use Samuel uh, for the people to minister to the people and all sorts of decisions. Because Samuel responded to the Lord. Now, the first point is this. The Lord loves to be sought after, okay? When you were dating, you thought your significant other really liked to be sought after, but I'm telling you, the Lord really likes to be sought after. In fact, it's all through scripture. If you turn into Deuteronomy 4, 29 and 30, it says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. What, what is that saying? God wants to be sought after. He wants you to intentionally try to find him. Mark, uh, Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus says it this way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. Seek God and you will find him. Now, it's interesting that God loves to be sought after and tells us over and over again to seek after him because if you turn to Romans 3, uh, 10 and 11, uh, Paul will actually say, no one seeks the Lord. Well, that's a contradiction. How can the Bible tell us all to seek the Lord and then tell us no one seeks the Lord? When God saves us, and he removes our heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. He creates in you and I a desire to know him that was not there before. And here's why you need to know that. If, you, if you've never known the Lord and this whole Christianity thing is weird and you don't even know why you're here today, like someone drug you, like that's a different kind of drug problem than the normal drug problem, you got drugged to church. And you don't know why you're here. 
But, but, but there's just some reason that, that suddenly you have questions about spiritual things and, and, and you're seeking, you don't know why. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that God is saving you. He is picking you out of the grave and bringing you to new life. And when God saves us, he then also creates in us a desire to know him that was not there before, a desire to seek him. So he doesn't just save us in this one-time thing and then go, all right, go live your life. He saves us and puts in us a desire to know him more. See, I think God is speaking to us far more than we think he is, but we've filled our life up with lots of noise. Have you, have you seen the statistics on our addiction to phones? There's something beeping at you all the time, trying to get your attention. The world wants your attention, wants to keep you busy, and, and here's God speaking to us, and we're just constantly filling our life up with the things of this world and missing the fact that the God of creation is speaking to us intimately. The Christian life is one in which God draws us to him from the dark. But then he doesn't just leave us there. He wants, the Bible would say, if we want life and life more abundantly, we must abide in him. We must walk in step with the spirit. So, so in order to walk in step with the spirit, in, in order to be where God is, we have to be seeking him, to follow him. Where the shepherd goes, the sheep go. But, but it's not in one place. You don't just stand there. That means we intentionally, proactively have to put effort and work into following God, seeking him, investigating him. And, and if you've read the Bible, you know that's not always a simple thing, amen? So just think about this story with Samuel. What is God doing? Why wouldn't he just go, hey, Samuel, I'm God, here's the deal. Wouldn't that have been a lot more efficient than this story? What, why all the teasing? Samuel, and then he gets all quiet like they're playing hide-and-go-seek? Samuel. What? 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 That's not what he did with Abraham. It's not what we did with Moses. He just showed up and told him the deal. No, Noah, Noah, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna build an ark. Here's the, here's the plans. He didn't do the, Mo, uh, Noah, and then he went and hid? What, why would, why? Why in the world would he do that? In fact, if he's not going to do that, why not just send an angel? You know that worked a bunch of times in the Bible, right? Mary, angel. Joseph, angel. Gideon, angel. Philip, just send an angel. Why don't you send an angel to Samuel? What's what's with all this hiding? You know the crazy thing about the angel? Even some of the people that he sent angels to, then when he talked to them the next time, he didn't send an angel a second time. He changed, like, what is going on? Philip, he tells him to go to Samaria. An angel comes in and says, go to Samaria. He goes to Samaria, and then the angel doesn't come back. The Holy Spirit tells him what the next step is. Why is God constantly changing how he would communicate with us? Like, why, why sometimes visions, or then dreams, or then angels, or voices from the sky, or bright lights, or clouds? You know, one time he uses a donkey, right? Why? Let me ask you this. Have you, ever, have you ever read the same verse like dozens of times and then one day you read it and you're like, has that always been there? I swear I've read this dozens of times and all of a sudden God just hits you upside the head with some type of truth through the same scripture you've read before. What's happening? Here's what's happening. You can't miss this. This is at the center of the Christian life. God desires for us to have this this real, intimate, ongoing relationship with him. Like a relationship that is alive and, and vibrant and dynamic, and it's not stale. It's not boring. If, if, if someone ever describes to you the Christian life is boring, they don't know the Jesus I know. Because, man, it is, it is active and changing and dynamic and vibrant, and, and you got to pay attention and seek the Lord fervently to see where he's leading because it's not always the same. He intentionally changes things up so that we have to be proactive about seeking him. You can't just sit and plop. Maybe you can sit and plop and have a good life, but you can't have a great one. 
And so he does things in ways that we might not expect. He moves in ways we might not expect. So it creates for us this urgency to pay attention, to seek him, to be listening. Second point, God speaks in such a way that it requires our attention to hear him. Samuel's young. He, he doesn't understand this, right? Uh, he misinterprets what's happening. He keeps thinking, well, it must be Eli. And it's Eli that actually recognizes that God is calling Samuel. God puts people in our life, this is the third point, God puts people in our life to help us not mistake God's call. The reason wise counsel is mentioned over and over and over and over again in the Bible, well, let me tell you why. No one lies to me like me. Man, I am a good liar to myself. But people that are close and they know your business and they're all up in it, those, that wise counsel, man, you ever had someone tell you something and you're like, wow, that is, I did not see that. It's Eli that points it out, not Samuel. When uh, my wife and I were really praying through, uh, we, we knew we were being called to something, we didn't know what, from our old church, and we spent probably, gosh, 18 months, two years, just wrestling, trying to figure it out. Man, we, were, we went to our pastors and we went to our family, had everyone praying for us and we investigated probably a dozen different things, just thinking, man, we're called to something. It was so uncomfortable, we couldn't figure it out. And finally, I'm on the phone with Randy Bennett, uh, a longtime family friend, for like two hours asking about all this other stuff. And in the middle of that conversation, for maybe 30 seconds, he said, hey, it sounds like what God is calling you into is what this church downtown called Hinge Point is doing. But they don't need any help, and then he moved on, and he changed the subject. And that little tiny 30-second window, I went, huh, something clicked. And it was someone else, after almost two years of searching, that, that led me to go online and look them up and show up at the doorstep of that church to realize God had called us there. It was other people. God puts people in our life to help us not mistake God's call. Now, the, the, the opposite of this is true too. You will make some horrendous decisions without wise counsel. I mean, wow. The number of times I've had someone who's relatively close to me come up to me and go, by the way, we're moving to Texas. And I was like, what, what? This seems so sudden. No, no, we've been praying about it for six months. What, in secret? Who, who, who else, who's we? Well, me and my wife. Like literally any other community praying about this? No. Why not? Why wouldn't anyone else be praying about this for you? Don't you have close Christian community? Yes. Well, did they know about it? No. I think what you're saying is we wanted to make this decision and we didn't want any pushback. So was God speaking or is this a desire of your heart that he doesn't actually want to honor? And that's a, a tough question. I've had some tough conversations with people. Here's why. If you want to know if God's in it, you're pulling everyone you trust in on it. Man, people are fasting and praying with you. They're, they're, they're hey, here's what I see in your life. Here, here, here's what I see God doing in your life. Here's what I've observed in your life. God loves to be sought after. He speaks in ways that require our attention. And lastly, he puts people in our lives to help us. Now, what happens when all of those things are happening? You're seeking the Lord and you're, you're listening for him and you've got wise counsel helping you and you hear nothing. He is, you feel like he's just quiet. What, what happens in the space in between? Because that's been my experience. In fact, that's even been my experience at times here at Res. I, I, I've been frustrated on and off for about two years. Because two years ago, 
I felt like God was about to lead this church into a new season, a new vision. And so I'm, I got the elders and everything and we're fasting and we're praying and it was quiet. And, and, and we didn't hear much of anything at first. In fact, what, what God began to talk to us about over the past three years wasn't new vision at all. It was gentleness and humility and loving one another and unity and forgiveness and healing, but not vision. Oftentimes, even as you do these things to listen to God, there's going to be a time of preparation in which God is gonna speak about things that you don't really want to hear about. And he's gonna be relatively silent and you're gonna be maybe a little bit frustrated. And in that time of preparation, there are gonna be some things that God is doing in you. And here's the first. There's some time for what I would call introspection. Or as David would put it in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know me. Search my heart. And if there be any wrong way inside of me, root, root that out of me. God, what do you have to change in me so that I can hear from you and actually accept it? So we're fasting, we're praying, we're meditating, we're giving God space to speak where we could actually hear. And then in that time of preparation, God starts to do some molding. He begins to change us a little bit. So often, God has a calling for you, but if you knew what it was, you would reject it right now because your heart doesn't even desire what he has for you yet. And so there's a period of time that God has to change your heart to want the things that he has for you. And if he were to show you those today, you wouldn't want them. In the same way, I couldn't imagine doing anything else other than being a pastor here with you right now. But 10 years ago, trust me, I could imagine other things. I wanted no part of being a pastor. 20 years ago, I wanted no part of being a pastor. 30 years ago, I wanted no part of being a pastor. Even a few years ago, I was like, okay, being a pastor is great as long as I don't have to preach. <laughs> you see how that's gone. God has to change our hearts to desire the very thing that he's preparing for us. And then the last thing is there's a season of refining or seasoning in which God has to give you the grit to make it through the calling. And so he takes oftentimes, he takes us through trials, he takes us through suffering, he takes us through storms and difficulties in order to season us and give us an endurance and a steadfastness so that we can make it through the calling. There are things that happen in Cecil's life, early in his life, to give him the grit to live a life in Thailand. They had to happen. And God is gracious that he does those things for us. Now, as those things build, they will lead to what I call a holy discontentment, a holy discontentment. Um, here, here's what holy discontentment is. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember Popeye? Not the chicken. Popeye, yeah? Uh, you remember one of, his, one of his classic quotes, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Holy discontentment, when you're just up to here with it. We see that happen in the Bible. Uh, for Moses, it was the misery of God's people. For David, it was Goliath trash-talking God and his people. For Nehemiah, it was people mocking God. There's an angst, a discontentment. I can't stand it. Now, I want you to be very careful if you're, if you're getting this, this, this phase. Um, what I've found is that I've been here multiple times. I've, I've been here even recently. When you're in this, this, this state of holy discontentment that God is building in you, we have, a, we have a tendency to point at people like it's their fault that we feel this way, okay? So, so when this happened to me and my wife, uh, when we were really praying through at our, at our last church, praying through where God was leading us, and, and we didn't hear from him, and I, and I continued to build in discontentment, I began to point at people and go, it's their fault, 
It's this pastor's fault. It's this person's fault. It's this, like, this is why I feel this way. That was wrong. And that required apologies and repentance and all kinds of other things. It was very simple. I, the, the, the discontentment that God was building was so that I would have an urgency into the calling that he was leading me into, but I, I made other people victims of that. And, and, and I'm telling you that because I've been, in the last two years, in this angst, I wanted God to lead us into vision two years ago, and I spent two years going, when, when, when? Is it now? Is it now? Maybe it's now. Hey, how about now? God, could it be Monday? <laughs> and I know that some of you are there too because I've talked to you about it. So we've got to be very careful that that holy discontentment isn't something that we then channel and, and, and blame people for. It's just God building urgency in us. And these, are, these things are so necessary, right? Because we, we have to be willing to count the cost of the calling as God reveals it to us and be okay with the cost to be obedient because every calling has a cost. Now, some of the uh, greatest moments in my entire life have been saying yes to the callings that God has put on my life when he's asked me to take steps of obedience. Sometimes those have come very quickly where he's revealed them pretty fast to me and sometimes they've been really slow, just seeking the Lord, earnestly desiring to see him move and paying attention to where he moves through circumstances, through people in my life, through scriptures, through prayer, through reflection. Now, I'm telling you all of this. I'm giving you all this background, the story of Samuel and all this information about how God moves and how he calls us as a foundation for what it looks like to hear from the Lord as we move into a new season. Because we've been spending, we, we, our, our, our elders and staff have spent about two years praying through this. So if all you back up seven years, we merged two churches. Anyone remember that? Yeah, super easy, barely an inconvenience. <laughs> merged two churches together. And then I, I am certain that God has a sense of humor not just because there's scriptures like in Job where he's laughing at people and stuff. Um, and not just because we have senses of humor, which had to come from somewhere because we're image bearers of God. But I'm fairly certain that he looked at our church after he merged it and he was like, ooh, senior pastor, <laughs> way too talented. Uh, pe- way too many capable people, way too many resources. How, how's God gonna get glory in that? It's like a Gideon moment. It was like, army's too big, let's get rid of most of them. And so over the past seven years, like all the really wonderful, talented ministry people have left. And now, sorry, this is what you got. <laughs> Apparently I was the one that lapped the water. Anyways, okay. <laughs> so that as God reveals to us where he's taking our church and then shows up in power, there's no doubt who did it. No one's going to sit around here as we begin to watch the miracles that God's doing through Resurrection Church and go, that's probably Pastor Mark. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> no one's going to go, I bet it was the guy with the mustache. It wasn't. <laughs> it was God. He gets the glory. And so he has winnowed down what we started with when we merged and started something new that looks nothing like the churches that we came from. Some people left for good reasons. They were called somewhere. Some people ran off. We went through substantial conflict. We went through that weird political phase where people lost their stinking minds. (laughs) Culture wars, race riots, COVID shutdowns, moral failures, lots of hurting, lots of grieving. We lost friends in the process. You know what we learned? We learned how to forgive. We relearned gentleness. We learned to love each other instead of simply tolerate each other. The Lord spent that season stripping away a lot of the personal preferences and personal agendas in this church. Much like a remodel, he took this thing down to the foundation. He tore it all away, and then he began to rebuild it. And so about two years ago, uh, I, man, I was pretty sure we were ready for new vision. And God was like, yes, not yet. And we went to work just praying earnestly where he was leading us. About a year ago, we rolled out new church values. We call it the heart of res. 
Um, it's, it's what we believe God was moving in our church about how we were going to do things that were a little bit unique to us, the things that we were gonna value, that would be priorities for us all the time. They describe our, our tone and our style and our attitude. They're, they're unique to us. They, they don't match our previous churches at all. Um, but there's also been something growing in our congregation over that time as well. And I, I know it's grown in our elders and our staff. I know it's grown in a lot of our leadership. I know it's grown for many of you because you've, you've told me about it in different, different ways and different words. Um, it, it's, it's this angst or this conviction that we should be doing more. Uh, when someone goes through a serious illness or a serious injury, you know, the, the first weeks of that usually are just healing. You're barely getting by. Uh, you're trying to feel better. But there's this point in the healing process where you feel like you've been in bed too long. You know what I mean? Like you've rested too long. You're getting a little restless. You ever feel that way? Like I'm ready to go do things and you're not actually ready to do things, but you think you are. And, 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 and many people in our church have felt that way for a while now. Yes? I'm ready to, I'm ready to I'm gonna go. What are we doing here? Trust me, I've felt like that for two years. It's a good feeling because God is preparing you for something. For me, at, at, the, at the very core of, of purpose in life, I desire to be part of a move of God. Um, it's what motivates me. I would, I would, I would say it like this, and, I, and, I've, and I've shared with you in the past, I think it's a very powerful thing to take some time at some point in your life, if you've not done this, and, and write your own obituary. It's not morbid at all. It's actually very motivating. What legacy do I want to leave? And am I living a life that points to that? For me, I, I have a reason to live. I believe that personally and biblically, there is no greater purpose on this earth than striving to please God so fervently that we use every ounce of our strength to pour ourselves out until I fall into the grave. There's no retirement from kingdom work. There's no quit. There's no giving up. There's no choosing comfort. And I have a dream of being part of a church that takes that so seriously that they prove it with their lives. I want to see God move. I want to see him change lives, change neighborhoods, change economies from how he's moving. Jim Symbol uh, wrote a book years ago uh, about seeing God move in power. And he has, a, he has a, a quote in there that says this. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. I don't want to miss it. I want to be part of it. I don't want to live a good life. I want to live a great one. And I believe that this same conviction has been growing in our church. I know it's been growing in me. I know it's been growing in our staff. I know it's been growing in our elders. I know it's been growing in a lot of leaders. I know it's been growing in many of you that have shared it. And I believe this is what our church has been preparing for. So I want you to ask yourself this today. This is the first question to ask yourself. Do I desperately want to be a part of a move of God? Do I, let's just think about this for a second. Do I desperately want to see God move in power? Now, if you don't, that's totally okay. Let me tell you why. I think it's our job, those of us that, that, that do want this, it's our job to encourage you to, to stoke the fire that Jesus put in your heart until it blazes white hot to see this happen. It's okay not to be there yet. It's our job to keep encouraging you that there's more to life than what you see today. But for those of you that, that do, that, that already just, man, it is your desire to see God move in power. Um, I, I, I'm excited. This is the very start of this journey. Today we're gonna talk about uh, church vision and four specific items and areas where we believe God is leading our church over the next five years. And so uh, with this, we're gonna talk about some convictions and we're gonna talk about some goals we've set. And then in the lobby, there's a packet where we have 
written up in detail these four items with lots of information about them and a bunch of scripture references. And we put some, some real work into this and we're gonna ask you to pick one of those up on your way out today and read through it prayerfully, consider it, um, see how it resonates with you. But I'm gonna go through them briefly today. Now, I need to give you one big caveat that's very important. I need you to understand attention. Remember that attention is something we manage, it's not a problem. Problem is something you fix. Attention is something you manage and never goes away. Here's the tension. The tension is that when we share vision, I need to give you enough detail to inspire you. If it's too vague, it's just confusing. So, so it has to be some detail there that sparks your imagination, that begins to resonate with you along things that God's already been doing in your life. But if I give you too much detail, if we were to make too many of the decisions about vision, it would feel like we'd already made all of the decisions. It would feel like we already, already figured everything out, which we have not, and that you're not needed, which is crazy. So there's a tension here. Enough detail to inspire and not too much to feel like everything's already been set in stone, which it hasn't. Does that make sense? Okay. Here we go. We believe that God has prepared us, led us, and called us to accomplish four major things over the next three to five years. The first is this, being known, being known. We believe there should be a gentle but consistent urgency for the members of our church to be known and engage in deep relationships, which is why we intend to create more ways to help us stay connected with each other. Now, I'm gonna give you three goals here in a minute, but here's what I wanna explain to you. Our culture right now has sold most of us a lie that we should prioritize efficiency over intimacy. And so we're the worst we have ever been as a culture at relationships. We're the worst that we've ever been as a culture in community. There's whole generations now of our country that believe that your best relationship is online. These are all lies. It is so deeply rooted in me to want to know you and shepherd you. I wanna pray for you by face and name. And yet I have less information about you in our church database than you're willing to give Facebook. I want to know who you are when I pray for you because I will answer for you to Jesus in heaven someday. There are 50 plus sessions of people that watch Sunday service every week online that represent some countless number of people behind each of those screens. Who are they? I have no idea. There are 300 to 350 adults here every single week, except they're not the same adults every single week because the average person in America goes to church 2.5 times per month. Who are they all? I don't know them all. You know why? They sneak in, they sneak out. We only have roughly 150 people that show up at our small groups every week, but we represent over 500 adults. Are they known? I have no idea. I had one of the scariest interactions I've ever had a couple years ago. Someone walked up to me. I barely recognized him. I didn't know his name. He said, Pastor, I'm back. Great. I mean, one, I didn't know you were gone. Two, who are you? And then he proceeded to say, I finally forgave the pastors for not calling me when I left. Uh, okay. You need to be known deeply. Not for an hour a week, deeply. So, three goals. Number one. Each person in our church, within three to five years, every person in our church clearly understands the next step in our discipleship growth process. Like we wanna be so transparent and so easy to follow that everybody in here knows what we're asking them to do next. In fact, you know it so well, if someone else told you where they were at in the process, you know what they need to do next. Number two, within three years, 300 plus people are attending group weekly that represent over 60 groups in our church. Today, that number is 150 and 32 groups. We want to double that. And third, 
Every person in our church could honestly say that they feel known by somebody else in the church. Your closest relationships exist within this church body. They may not today. That's our goal. Challenge accepted. Three things. That's number one. Number two, the 10-minute window. 10-minute drive in any direction from this church. If you take that circle, it's 145,000 people. Of that 145,000 people, 81% do not attend church regularly. I don't have to go to Thailand to find lost people. They're right here, right down the street. We have a bunch of demographic information about them. We know lots of generalizations about them, but they are not being reached and we want to reach them. We have an opportunity. We aim to pursue the people in our neighborhoods around our church by actively exploring ways to build trust, address real needs, and engage with the community through outreach teams, including efforts for the homeless, local events, and school connections. Five things, five goals in the 10-minute window. Number one, we're gonna launch an independent daycare preschool that primarily serves the local neighborhood here. It's gonna be an auspicious goal. But here's what you need to know. One of the top needs, if you are a single mother, single parent, living below the poverty line, which is 29% of this 10-minute window, is childcare. We are the single largest donor for Bakersfield Pregnancy Center. If you're considering an abortion and you go to the Bakersfield Pregnancy Center and they're giving you medical services and they're giving you ultrasounds and they're giving you counseling and they're giving you information and they're talking to you about all the support mechanisms they potentially have for you if you decide to keep that baby and they're talking about bottles and they're talking about strollers and they're talking about counseling and talking about groups, all those things are wonderful, but who's gonna watch this baby if me as a 19-year-old single parent needs to go back to school and then get a job? We are. I don't know how yet. (laughs) I hope you do. Number two, we want to create a community center that is accessible to the local neighborhood. We want to use the resources that God has gifted and granted this church for this community. What does that look like? I have no idea. Number three, We want to renovate Peacock Park for community use. It's probably a million dollar investment. We don't have a million dollars. God will provide. Number four, we want to have a ministry on campus at Bakersfield College. It is in our 10 minute window. And you want to know the demographic of people that are the farthest from the Lord, it's that age group. Number five, in three to five years, we want 150 or more new people from this neighborhood attending Res Church. How are we going to get them? We're going to go find them. We're going to go meet them. We're going to go figure out what their needs are. We're going to meet their needs and earn the right to share the gospel. Number three, our circles, carpools, cubicles, and cul-de-sacs. I'm Baptist. They all start with C. (laughs) We We reject the myth of separating the sacred and the secular. And we see every aspect of life as an opportunity for mission, believing that we are called to be ambassadors for the gospel through authentic, hospitable interactions in our homes workspaces, and everyday life. You are called to be on mission. You are called to be in ministry, changing tires or diapers, grading tests, doing paperwork. Wherever you work, God has called you to do that joyously and for him. Three goals. We want to collect 300 plus stories of gospel investment in the next three years. Now, what does gospel investment mean? You see, I want to celebrate you investing in people for the gospel, whether or not we get to see the outcome. 
Paul would say uh, when there was a fight over uh, leaders in the church, uh, I planted Apollos water, but it was God that did the growing. We want to celebrate investing, whether or not you get to see the harvest of that investment. And, and I don't know how we're going to capture these stories, but people are already telling me stories. And so I don't even need 300 yet. Like I'm already counting on I got two of those, right? Uh, Kim Larkin was telling me about uh, this awesome interaction she had at work where she got a new boss when she moved in uh, her, her positions. And, and the boss has been just talking to her a lot and realizing like how important Jesus is to her. And so he wanted her to do some leadership development. So he asked her, would you pick a Christian leadership book? And I'll read it with you. He's an atheist. Gospel investment. She may never see the harvest of that, but that is honorable and that is worthy of honor. That is worthy of celebrating. So we only need 299 more. 400 or more new guests in the next three years. That's our goal. We also have to have a way of tracking them and finding them, which we'll we'll talk about some of those things too. And thirdly, a 90% or higher response on our annual survey of I invited a guest in the last year. Now, here's what I mean by that. The American average right now is if you go to church and then they ask you, have you invited someone to church in the last year? The American average is 2%. 2% of people who go to church have invited someone to church in the last year. That's pathetic. We are the hope of the world. We have the hope of Christ and we're, we're silent about it. We want to be a church that can't shut up about it. 90 plus percent, meaning if you go to this church, you are inviting people to know Jesus. It's the goal. Three goals. And the last, last of our vision items, preparing people to lead. We see it as our responsibility to train and empower young leaders who are the future of the church by actively exploring opportunities such as internships, cooperatives, takeovers, mergers, and church plants to reach our community and support churches in other cities. Yes, I said the M word. What do I mean by that? Here's what we want to do. Number one, formalize our own ordination process. Secondly, build a pipeline of pastoral training and opportunities. And third, proactively seek partnerships, planting, and replanting opportunities. Why is this important? Um, Average church attenders in America are getting a lot older. What that means is there aren't younger people coming to church at the same rate. Therefore, the average age in the church is older and older and older. And we're dying. We've got to do a better job of raising the next generation, not just to know and love the Lord, but to lead. In our denomination, the Southern Baptist denomination in this county, outside of our staff that I know of in all of the city in the county, I'm sorry, the county, in Kern County, all the Southern Baptist churches, there are only two other pastors that I know of in the Southern Baptist Convention in this county that are under the age of 55. They're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and yes, 90s. Why? Well, we'll get, that's a long conversation, but it's a terrible one because they're dying, their congregations are dying, and we have not raised up leaders not just pastors, ministers, leaders, teachers, done a horrible job. Now, based on our size and our average attendance, we are in the top 6% largest churches in the country. Did you know that? So if we're not gonna raise up leaders, who is? If we being in one of the biggest churches in the country aren't willing to take the resources that God's given us and train and raise up young leaders and give them space and authority to make mistakes and to lead and be willing to send them out to plant churches and to take over dying churches, if we're not doing it, who will? It's our job to do this. And it's not easy. Anyone that's ever dealt with a teenager knows that it's not easy. It's our it's our job. We've got to begin to raise up leaders. And they're not all for us. They're for the glory of God. So we're going to investigate that actively. We're going to be working on that. Now, what can you do? 
Here, here's the first one. I give you a very small version of these four vision items. There is a very detailed write-up of each of these available for you on the table when you walk out. Please take one. Please commit to reading it by yourself, with your small group, uh, with your significant other, with your family, however you want to do that. Commit to reading it prayerfully. Pray through it. Consider it. See where it resonates with things that God's already been doing in your life. Secondly, in March, we're going to spend one Sunday a week on you know, each of these different vision items. So we're gonna have a four week series on this vision stuff where we just get into it in detail. Between now and March, the elders are going to meet with every single small group to go through this. So we're gonna sit down and we're going to just Q&A. What, what do you got? What do you think? What, what, how does this inspire you? What ideas do you have? Where does this match a conviction that God has already been working on, a stirring in your heart? And so we're gonna meet with all 32, 33 small groups between now and March. Then in March, we're gonna go through this in detail for four weeks. If if you're a small group leader and you wanna schedule this, talk to Karen or any elder and we'll get it on the calendar for you. Now, we're gonna need lots of teams. We're gonna need lots of ideas. We're gonna need need things that I don't even know what they are yet. Because we don't even know if we're asking all the right questions just yet. But here's the most important thing. We need a conviction and a discontentment that we cannot tolerate where we are right now. Right now, where we're at this church, it is very good. Oh, it is very sweet. This place is a joyful place to come to. And yet, I cannot stay here. I can't. I love you guys. It's too comfortable. I cannot stay in good because I think God is calling us into something great. And it is easy to build a fence around this place and shut the doors and just hope Jesus comes back soon. But that is not the call he's put on my life or on yours. I want to see God move. I want to see him change the lives of the people that you thought would never be reached. I want a day where you're driving around Bakersfield and all of the strip clubs had to close because no one was showing up. Where you're driving down Union and there's no one walking around the corners trying to get clients because there are no clients. I want to see him change economies and families and family trees and legacies. And I don't think he does that with comfortable people. I think he does that with people that are completely sold out on following wherever he leads and those are generally terrifying journeys. You're welcome. (laughs) But I'll do it with you. I can't stay here. I hope you can't either. We're gonna close right now and... um, I want to offer you a couple different invitations today. First and foremost, if, if we've been talking about this relationship with God uh, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even, I'm not even sure what that is. Maybe, maybe you don't even know why you're here. Someone keeps dragging you here or something keeps pulling you in. I just want to tell you right now that if you went from not caring to suddenly having questions about God, that is God awakening your soul from death. He is saving you. And if you want to know what's next, there'll be elders and prayer team up here as we sing this song. We would love, we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to give your life fully to Jesus and surrender yourself to his leadership in your life. Secondly, if you're in a place where intellectually you know you should be more on fire for God, but you don't feel that way. Has anyone ever been there? Like you intellectually know you should just be sold out for the Lord, but just your, your heart is not, the emotion doesn't match what your mind's telling you should do and you don't know why. God would tell you that you, you merely need to ask him for it. He is the source of it. He is the power of it. He does the work of it. You simply ask him for it. 
If you feel like you've been far from where the Lord had you, from the, the path that you were supposed to be on and following him, you feel like you've, you've lacked the obedience, you feel like you just, you just lack the passion that you know you're supposed to have, I want to invite you to commit to that starting in 2024. This altar is open. And just like Cecil walked up to an altar many years ago to give his life to Christ, you can use this altar to simply talk to God and ask him to do that in your life. God, will you help me to commit to chasing after you, to seeking your face, even though I know it means leaving the comfortable, the good, but I wanna, I wanna know the great. Our prayer team and our elders are also gonna be up here just to pray with anyone that would like to pray. We'd love to pray for you. It doesn't really matter why. The altar's open. The elders and prayer team will be here. I'm gonna pray for us, and if you'll stand, we're gonna sing a song while you respond. Go ahead, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for sending your son, for calling us son or daughter, and then not leaving us to figure life out on our own, God. We, 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 we thank you so much for what you have been building in this church through a bunch of messy, imperfect people, and we so desire to see you move in power. God, will you Ignite in us a white, hot, burning passion to see you and to seek you and to chase after you, God, and don't let us settle for comfortable. We want to see you work miracles. We thank you for all that you're going to do using us, the privilege of getting to do your work. We thank you for this church, in Jesus' name, amen. You move as the Lord leads you. I love you, church.